Thank you, David. I always appreciate learning new songs and even repeating them once or twice so we can remember them. Um, let's go ahead and, and look at the passage we have uh, for today. But uh, before I read it, I want us to look at a picture uh, and see if anyone can tell me what it is. So usually I see it up there, so I don't have to look behind me. Yeah, there is uh, yours truly. Uh, maybe a little bit handsomer than I am now. Certainly uh, dressed a little bit better uh, than I am now. But um, that was uh, a day to remember. And uh, it took about a year to prepare for it. That's uh, one of the things I didn't know as a man when uh, I proposed my wife just what I was into and I don't mean the the marriage life that we've enjoyed for the last 20 years but just the wedding uh, was uh, an event that took a tremendous amount of preparation uh, not the least of which was uh, selecting the wedding party so there you see uh, six uh, bridesmaids and I, I apologize if I get uh, uh, the nomenclature wrong on some of these. And then there had to be a six matching uh, groomsmen, it has to be the same number. And uh, there's the, uh, I guess, flower girls uh, on the bottom, also looks like uh, that's six or seven, looks like we got seven of them. And then all the way at the end, actually, that's uh, Jake Wilson. Uh, the only picture I have to prove that he was ever shorter than I am. Um, <laughs> And he was the, uh, the ring bearer. And I didn't know, you know, when I proposed to my wife just how involved uh, the event was going to be and, and the detail going to the selection of it. And the one thing that, that uh, stood up in my mind, uh, or now as I was preparing for this message, was uh, she was explaining to me why we should choose Jake Wilson as the ring bearer instead of I think his younger brother, TJ, or one of the other uh, younger boys at church. And the, the reason she gave is she once went to a wedding and they had, you know, a cute three-year-old ring bearer. And, you know, he ended up, you know, acting inappropriately in the middle of, of the wedding. And uh, that took away from the event. Uh, now... Uh, another one of the things I've kind of learned then and since then is usually the focus of the wedding is on the bride, right? She's the one who comes in and everybody stands up. Uh, when I came in, which was through a side door, nobody stood up. And, and I that's just fine with me, but she didn't want the behavior of, of a younger child in some way taking away from, if you would, the glory of the moment. Right? Uh, and again, uh, it's something girls tend to be more aware of, the wedding, more looking forward, having you know, more plans uh, than the guys. But I've learned. That was a, a good experience for me to just appreciate uh, how much goes into wedding preparation. And, uh, and I guess the, you could say the, the honor uh, associated with having so many people around you at the time, because all these people, the bridesmen, the groomsmen, the flower girls, they all add to, um, 
you know, the glory of the event, right? Uh, if it was just me and my wife up there, it wouldn't look quite as fine as having all these people supporting us as, as part of the wedding uh, party. So today we'll be looking at uh, a parable by the Lord Jesus, referred to as the parable of the ten virgins. And it helps if we keep this in mind that this it really is talking about a wedding event and the brides are playing an important role in the wedding party, right? Something that it's a, it's a bit different than our... Uh, the way we celebrate weddings today, but th this is what it's about. It's about a wedding, and it's about the wedding party and the behavior, if you would, of the members of that party. So with that introduction, uh, go ahead and look at uh, Matthew 25, and we'll start in verse 1, and we'll read all the way up to verse 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Okay, so we have these uh, virgins with the lamps. I mentioned it's a wedding, and they're part of the wedding party. I have a a picture, this is of course uh, one of these uh, artist uh, renditions. There's no, uh, you know, nobody was standing there with a picture. Actually, it's a story told. This is not an actual event that happened, but just trying to give us an idea of how, you know, important this was for the event. Uh, apparently, in those days, uh, when a groom would come, uh, part of the wedding party would be... Uh, women virgins, so unmarried women, who would come to greet the groom into the house in which the, the wedding was to happen. And apparently uh, this happened at least often enough in the evening that the virgins would bring lamps with them. And, uh, and so they'd have this you know, procession of, of going out to the bridegroom and bringing him in to the wedding hall. And again, it's part of the wedding party. It just makes the whole thing somehow more glorious. More glorious uh, in two ways. One is you'll be able to see the groom, right? Otherwise, he's coming in the dark. You won't be able to see the nice tuxedo he's wearing, a robe or whatever it is that he has on. So by them coming with the lights, you get to see the groom in all his adornment coming into the wedding hall. Uh, and it shows how important it is. It is the fact that, you know, 10 you know, unmarried women would join the party to support uh, 
this wedding just would show how important he is, how important he is to the bride, how important he is to the community, how important he is to them that they would take their time and use their resources uh, to welcome him into the wedding hall. Right? So that, that is the ideal uh, of the picture. Now, in this parable story that Jesus is, is telling us, it says that out of the ten, five were wise and five were foolish. Uh, the difference between them is the foolish one brought no oil in the lamps. And I have a picture for those who are not familiar with uh, what uh, lamps looked like in those days, right? You didn't have LEDs, you didn't have uh, incandescent light bulbs. Uh, you had, if you would, just like a candle, but instead of wax, so the candles we have today, uh, as, they, as you light the, what do you call the, the rope thing? The wick, uh, as you light that, it basically, what's actually burning is the wax that's around it, and that's what provides the fuel for the flame. In, those, in, in, in this case, it was the oil. So you had a wick that went into this bowl. The bowl had oil, and it would suck up the oil, and then the oil would burn, and that's what would give out the light. Now, uh, this parable has been interpreted in, in different ways. Uh, some people felt, well, there just wasn't quite enough oil to stay burning <coughs> for the, you know, however long the bridegroom came. But uh, Edersheim, in his, uh, in his book uh, called uh, the, times, the Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, it's a good book, was written maybe 100, 150 years ago, but he really, he really looked into the culture of those days. He looks at resources to try to best understand uh, the time and culture, his interpretation is that there was actually no oil at all in the vessel. So the, the wise one had oil in the vessel, and therefore when you light it, it will stay lit for as long as the oil lasted, which would depend on how much oil you put in, uh, whereas the foolish one actually didn't have any oil. And so the wick wouldn't last very long at all. I mean, it might burn for a minute, right, before it runs out. And so the foolish one came completely unprepared to this event, there is no way it would have lasted long enough, right? And most likely, they would not have lit it until the bridegroom actually came. They wouldn't just light it once it got dark because they wouldn't know when he would come. It just would be wasteful. It makes a lot more sense. Okay, someone says the bridegroom is coming, the announcer says it, that's when you light it, right? And so if you had you know, any significant amount of oil, it would work. But if you really had no oil at all, in your vessel, well, it would die very quickly. And so that's why they're foolish. Everyone would agree that those virgins were foolish. You don't come to the party with this being your responsibility without any oil in your lamp. Right? That, that was a foolish thing to do. Um, and then, uh, you know, the rest of the details kind of follow along. The bridegroom uh, seems to be quite delayed. He comes at midnight. To me, that seems like a somewhat late to start a wedding feast. Uh, but it seems the reality is nobody knew exactly when he would come. And, uh, and if he was important enough, you'd wait. And, uh, and yeah, the wedding could still go on and, and you can enjoy even, even a late wedding. Some of us uh, could stay up later than others. But, um, you know, it seems like the timing was such that he came at this particular uh, late hour. And it's then that it somehow dawns on the 
foolish virgins that, you know, this wasn't going to work, right, without oil in their lamps. They asked the wise ones for oil, and the wise say, no, we just bought enough for ourselves. You know, if we give you some of ours, it may not work at all, right? There won't be enough oil for, for you or us, right, to properly welcome the bridegroom. So go out and buy for yourselves. So they go looking, probably unsuccessfully. I don't think most people are selling oil at midnight. Um, uh, and then, but they miss the bridegroom. That's when the bridegroom comes, of course. They announced he was coming. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding hall. Right? That's where the party is. Then the door was shut. And the foolish virgins end up being left out in the cold, literally. Right? They come back with you know, whatever results of trying to buy oil, but the door is shut. They ask to come in. Very interestingly, the answers uh, the bridegroom gives them is, I do not know you. I don't know you. Right? He doesn't, uh, doesn't recognize them at all. Okay, so that is uh, the parable, and now we want to interpret it. Right? And, and we try to be careful interpreting parables. We, we know you don't always correspond a truth for every little detail of the parable. There's generally one main uh, truth that Jesus is teaching in a parable. So I'll go into some of the details. I may not hit every detail of the parable, um, and, and we'll try to understand then how it applies to us uh, today. So first of all, we note that Jesus is saying, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So we notice that Jesus is comparing all ten virgins to the kingdom of God. Right? We would tend to, to expect that, well, it's the five wise ones that are the kingdom of God, but, and the five foolish ones, well, that's just the world. That's just you know, unsaved people with no interest in Christ at all. Uh, but that's not what Jesus says. It says all of them are part of the kingdom of God, which we would today refer to as the professing church, right? Jesus is inviting people to come to himself, and a lot of people uh, will come to the point of joining a church, if you would, uh, calling themselves Christians without the reality of conversion, of, of becoming uh, true believers, and those would be uh, the foolish ones. But I want to appreciate the fact of the fact that Jesus is not being exclusive in his invitation to the wedding. We uh, have just received an invitation uh, for a wedding in the mail. Me and my wife, literally yesterday or maybe the day before, we were invited to a wedding down in LA of one of my wife's cousins, and we're happy to be invited. But the invitation specifically said, please leave your kids at home so you can come and enjoy the wedding. Well, you know, so it's a little bit restrictive, right? Our kids are not welcome uh, to the wedding, and it could affect our ability to come too, because if I can't find a babysitter for my kids, that means I'm not going to come to the wedding, or maybe we'll split, my wife will go, and I'll stay at home watching the kids, okay? So it's a little bit restrictive. Um, the most restrictive wedding I've been to was that of my wife's sister. She invited only about 20 guests to her wedding, and they were all direct relatives. So her parents, groom's parents, her siblings, and her and the you know uh, spouses, and his siblings and their spouses. 
even my kids were not, even her nephews and nieces were not invited. And I remember my wife being a little bit miffed because she was hoping that her daughters, my daughters, could actually be the bridesmaids. I'm not the bridesmaids, the flower girls, right? They were the right age and, you know, it's a special opportunity to be a flower girl. I've never wanted to be a flower girl, but uh, apparently it is something special. Uh, and, uh, and so it's a little bit sad, right? When you, you're, if you're not invited to a wedding or your kids are not invited to a wedding or uh, you don't get to participate in the wedding party that you were hoping to. And there could be some reasons for it. Uh, one reason I can think of is financial. Right? Every seat at the table costs money. And uh, if you invited my kids in addition to me, that's for more mouths to feed. And so the, the bill at the end of the day goes up. And I can understand people have restricted budgets. Um, or it could be just being purely antisocial. I, I don't like to say it, but my wife's sister is a little bit antisocial. She didn't have a lot of friends uh, and didn't really want to invite the more extended family. There's some, you know, uh, been some bad feelings over the years between uh, my father-in-law and his siblings and there, and she's just, she wants to keep all of that out. I'll just have the close family here that's good enough for me. So I'm so thankful that God is not like that. Number one, uh, he's not uh, limited with his resources, right? Uh, every, every plate has been paid for. Every, every spot at the table for every man, woman, and child has been paid for by the Lord's death on the cross. Right? There's no limits to who can come to this wedding. Right? It's all been paid for. And the Lord is not antisocial. He loves. God so loved the world, including the whole world, that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him should have uh, eternal life. Right? So God's inviting everyone to this wedding. In fact, he's inviting everyone to the wedding party to participate in bringing him glory, right? Which is what the job of the wedding party uh, is. And that was the next point. Just as the virgins were to bring these lamps that were to cast light and, you know, bring glory to the bridegroom, show him in his beauty and, and just show how willing they were to expend themselves for his uh, glory, their time, their resources. Uh, so we also were told in uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world or this lamp. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So again, we are called to be this light, and, and, and we bring glory to God, again, both ways. First, we show what God is like with our good works, right? When I am loving my neighbors, and even more, when I love my enemy, I show what God is like. And also, I'm showing that I'm willing to do this, I'm expending myself, because he deserves me to do it, right? The reason I'm doing there's good works, it's because God wants me to, because Jesus wants me to. That's why I'm doing it. Right? So I'm showing that he is worthy of whatever sacrifice it might be, might take on me to, to do these things that he wants me to do. So I, I bring him glory in the same way that the virgins were to bring glory to the bridegroom uh, in the parable. Another verse 
Philippians chapter 2, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Again, we are to be the, the light of the world, uh, a, a world that's dark, doesn't know God, in some way revealing to the world what God is like. That's our uh, opportunity in being part of this wedding party. Uh, next, uh, we, and, and I mentioned, um, you have the wise and the foolish uh, virgin. So we have in the professing church, um, the, the true believers and those that, that are false professors, uh, as we would recognize them. And the difference between the two is the oil. Um, there's a couple of interpretations of what the oil can represent. Uh, I think in this, on the simplest level, oil represents the reality of our willingness to bring glory to Christ. Right? The, the virgins were willing to expend, the wise ones were willing to expend of their resources. They were willing to bring their oil, and, and that cost money in those days, a significant amount of money, uh, in order to burn this oil and to bring glory uh, to the bridegroom. And so uh, true believers uh, would be recognized because they're willing to, uh, to bring glory to Christ, to, to suffer real, uh, real sacrifice, especially if we apply this parable to the end days, which is what the, the general context here is. Jesus has been talking about the coming kingdom and the fact that it would be uh, during this time of tribulation that the church will go through, that finally the Lord Jesus would come. And during that time, believers will be persecuted around the world to profess yourself as a follower of Christ, uh, to refuse to take the sign of the beast will result in real consequences, real uh, martyrdom at times. And it's the believer's willingness to do that that shows that they are true believers, right? Now, whereas you know, the foolish virgins, the false professors would turn away. They wouldn't be willing to sacrifice. They, they would come into a church. They'll join the singing. Um, they might like being around Christians. They certainly would enjoy the refreshments that we have in the back. Thank you, Jen, by the way, for that delicious uh, apple uh, crisp. And, uh, but, you know, when you ask them to sacrifice something, when there's something uncomfortable, something painful, and not to mention having to give up your life, it's like, forget it. That's not why I'm here, right? And that would, be, would show who is the true uh, believer and who is not. Uh, the other uh, typical interpretation of the oil is that of the Holy Spirit, right? Believers have the Holy Spirit in them, and the Holy Spirit energizes them in doing their good works, whereas uh, false professors don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have that extra power to do, uh, to do that. And, and we can find some references that would support that. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So there it connects the idea of shedding light with having the Holy Spirit in us and the fruits of the Holy Spirit uh, coming out in our lives. I think we have enough time to look at the, 
a quick, uh, if you would, parable in, Mal in uh, Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, you don't have to show the verses, but maybe you can show the picture. Is that okay, Luke? <coughs> I have a, a picture that goes along with that. But uh, if you're familiar with the book of Zechariah, it has all these visions and dreams that come upon Zechariah. And um, one of them, chapter 4, says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me, as a man is wakened uh, out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I'm looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl, and one is at the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my lord. So he answered and said to me. So this is the interpretation now given by the angel as to the significance of these two olive trees, which are basically pouring their oil into this lamp, right, that, that gives this light. And the interpretation is, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace, to it. Now, Zerubbabel was the leader of the captivity returning from Babylon, and his job, among others, was to rebuild the temple that was destroyed. And that's why the reference to the capstone that was going to be laid down. And they were facing all kinds of opposition from the people in the land. And this was God's encouragement to Zerubbabel. He says, not by might or by power, meaning not by any human power, I'm not asking, I'm not going to raise an, an army. You don't have to call, uh, you know, the uh, king of Persia to come here and help you. But it'll be by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's going to be the power of my spirit. And so the, the, this picture was to represent really the power of the Holy Spirit. And this continuous oil, this flame that keeps going, never runs out of fuel, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a good picture of a believer's life, uh, too. I, I'll, I'll do good works, uh, and, you know, maybe I'll grow tired. Maybe I have something else in my life, some area of sin I'm, I'm wrestling with, and, you know, that will kind of be quenching my testimony. But then the Holy Spirit working in my life will convict me of my sin and, and you know, draw me back to the Lord and energize me to once again be doing uh, these things that please the Lord, to glorify the Lord. It's a continuing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that keeps us going, right? And so that's why the Holy Spirit is also used uh, as interpretation of the oil in this parable. So again, it's, it's the virgins are going out, they have oil, they're glorifying the bridegroom, and that can be a picture of us as believers with the Holy Spirit uh, continually enabling us to glorify God in our lives. Right? So that's uh, another view of, of the oil. Okay, finally, uh, as in the parable, it comes uh, at midnight. Christ will come at his own time, right? We've been waiting for 2,000 years. The Lord is saying, I'm coming soon, right? <laughs> so we're ready. We want to be ready uh, for the Lord's coming. 
And it was at the Lord's coming that it becomes obvious who's a true believer and who's not a true believer. Right? I, I look at all you guys, you're all, you know, looking good to me, right? But it's possible that there's a person here who doesn't really know the Lord, right? Uh, but that will become clear when the Lord Jesus comes back. And we'll actually see that to some extent in a couple of weeks when we look at the... Um, sorry, I forget the name of that particular parable, but the, the coming kingdom, the Lord will be separating the nations, uh, you know, one on his one side, one on the other side. So when the Lord Jesus comes and some are, uh, are, are brought into fellowship with him, he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord, while the rest are consigned to an eternity of separation from God, that's when it becomes clear who's a true believer uh, and who's not. Now, uh, I want to make clear that this is not a case of losing your salvation. It's not that you're saved, but then somehow you didn't match up to God's expectation of you during your life, and God decides he doesn't want you anymore. Right? This is a case of, of, uh, of a person who just never came into a true relationship with the Lord, and we see that because Jesus says... Uh, to the virgins, uh, the foolish virgins, assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. I, I don't know you. And it, it uh, reminds us of Matthew 7, <clears throat> where Jesus says basically the same thing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, right? So these are professing believers. They call Jesus Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Who are the ones who are true believers? The ones who are doing the will of God, right? Here on earth now, right? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will say, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Right? So clearly there's those who will profess to be Christians, and Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Right? You've never entered into a relationship with me. You, you said it on the outside, but on the inside, there was never that connection made with me. You've never truly um, accepted me as your Lord and Savior. You never truly saw yourself as uh, the helpless sinner. Right? I have everything. I've, I've paid I've paid for your sins. There's nothing in me that's keeping us from being reconciled, but you've never came to me. You never received me as, as your Lord and Savior, as I've offered myself to you. And that's, that's a reality that becomes apparent at that time. Uh, applications for us today. Uh, first of all, Jesus wants people to know the truth about their spiritual state. And, uh, and that can be known by looking at our lives. He doesn't want people to fool themselves into thinking they're believers uh, when they're not true believers. Uh, the second application is the fact that Jesus really wants us uh, to live for his glory now. Right? He says at the end, watch therefore. Right? He wants us to be uh, 
those, those uh, virgins that are ready uh, for his coming. Um, now, we want to uh, be careful uh, that we don't uh, expect people to be perfect, right? Um, I, I am still a sinner, right? Even though I am a believer in the Lord Jesus, uh, the Bible says uh, in John, in 1 John, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the truth is we are sinners, right? And we are going to sin, uh, but we can confess our sins. Uh, and the Lord promises that uh, he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're not talking about a perfection in, in you know, our life now on the earth, right? I'm not, I'm not perfect, and I expect none of you is perfect either. But uh, the Lord does want us to, to live for him, right? And uh, we see that because he keeps reminding us in these passages about his desire for us to be ready for his coming. Right? If we were perfect, once we were saved, he would never have to remind us. Right? He would never have to tell us that that's what he wants us to do. But because of our tendency of falling into sin uh, and, and being uh, distracted by different things in our lives, uh, he reminds us. You know, you have an opportunity to be my you know, groomsmen, bridesmaids, uh, flower girls, ring bearer. He wants us to be part of the wedding party, not just welcoming to heaven, but bringing glory to him, right? To make that <coughs> time of, of joining in the wedding a more glorious event uh, than it would otherwise uh, be. Uh, earlier this week, uh, we got a reminder email from Jen and, uh, of the different responsibilities that uh, are involved with uh, just having this time of refreshment we just enjoyed uh, between our, our two meetings. And um, you know, we appreciate Jen for carrying out this ministry, really, for the last year or so. And, uh, and now... You know, we're rejoicing that Luke and Jen are expecting a baby. And we realize, you know, Jen may not be able to be here every week and do it because she might be spending some time, you know, delivering the baby in the hospital. Who knows? You know, it could become that she may have other priorities coming into her life. And so she's giving us an opportunity to participate, right, to, to share the blessing of being able to you know, to participate in this work of having refreshment for the saints. And it seems like something small, but I appreciated uh, a response that Howard uh, sent, actually. There was an email. I don't know if you remember, Howard, you sent an email this past week. 
And, uh, and he, he actually uh, quoted from the scripture there, again, appreciating Jen for what she was doing, but uh, it caught me the end of the passage that he, he sent, but I'll, I'll quote the whole thing. This was in 1 Peter chapter 4. Said, uh, says, but the end of all things is at hand. Sounds kind of like the Lord Jesus talking about the fact he's coming soon. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful. Again, the same word in your prayers, right? We want to be ready uh, for the Lord's return. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Talking about the relationship between the saints wanting us to, to love one another, which was going to be the mark of true believers also. Uh, you know, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples if, if you have love for one another. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, uh, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So really a similar theme to what we have today. We're talking about the glory of God and how we can contribute, believe it or not, to the glory of God. And one of the ways in which we contribute is to use the gifts that God has given us in serving one another, right? So one of the gifts mentioned here is speaking. So technically, I am exercising the gift of speaking and ministering to you spiritually. Hopefully, you'll be ministered to. Um, but uh, there's other gifts uh, and there's other ways in which we can serve one another. And every believer is given a gift or more than one gift that uh, we can use to serve one another, including uh, having refreshments between our meetings, right? Uh, participating in that list uh, that Jen sent out. I think it's a Google Doc, which means anyone can click on it if you have a Google account. And... Uh, and sign up and say, okay, I'll bring refreshments today or I'll check into, you know, what we have left in the kitchen, whatever the list of responsibilities are. Uh, very practical opportunity uh, we, all we all have. If you uh, want to particip participate more in the church, if you uh, feel you have a gift or if you are looking for a gift and would like to explore by uh, serving uh, the saints, uh, feel free to talk to, uh, to uh, one of the elders or one of the deacons uh, or someone you know who's in, in, who is involved in a ministry uh, such as Jen, Miss Lita, and, uh, you know, offer, offer yourself uh, and we will help you find opportunities to serve the Lord and to uh, bring glory uh, to him, which is our opportunity here on earth. We get to live a life that brings uh, Christ glory, and we're thankful for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the, the banqueting table that uh, you have for us and uh, for everyone, Lord, who wants to come to you and enjoy uh, living with you uh, for all of eternity. <clears throat> we were thinking, th thanking you earlier today about the fact that 
Uh, each of us deserved not a place at the banquet table, but a place in hell. And what made a difference to that is your uh, death on the cross for all of our sins. So we thank you for that. We, we acknowledge that you are worthy, Lord, of any glory that we could bring you during our life uh, here below. And we pray that you help all of us find those opportunities uh, that you give us wherewith you want us to glorify you today and for the rest of our lives here. Help us keep watching for your coming, Lord, for we ask it in your name. Amen.